0: At the podcast where we review books. Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult, uh, a podcast in which we momentarily forget what our podcast's called, but can edit out silence later. So <laughs> it's fine. A podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, discuss books. <laughs> Sorry, would you have something to add?
1: <laughs> you said discuss,
0: and I was going to say and talk about. It's a podcast where we discuss YA literature. This week, it is my turn to read a book and the book I read is Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. Kira, what is your knowledge of this book? Full
1: disclosure, I know this is a podcast where one of us reads the book and then tells the other one about it, but I have read this book because I read it when it came out a year plus ago now, and I enjoyed it. Okay. I'm gonna have in-depth questions for you. Oh, oh, I love that. But we might have a higher level of conversation than the other pods where we have just been like "Uh uh-huh uh-huh that sounds interesting no wait explain that again
0: I just have a lot of thoughts and opinions so (laughs) what's new there true I mean people don't decide to have a podcast because they're like quiet (laughs) self-contained we begin with author talk I'm gonna say if you're listening to this podcast you know who John Green is uh, he and his brother have multiple podcasts. Moreover, he is a really big name in the world of YA fiction.
1: This is true, but podcasters don't necessarily read. They definitely listen.
0: This is a podcast about YA. How many of our listeners do you think do not read YA? My dad, my
1: listen. Oh,
0: okay, my other than Kira's dad, <laughs> which of our listeners don't read any YA? Okay, so Dennis, <laughs> listen up. John Green is a big name in YA I wouldn't go as far as to say he's like conventionally famous but if you have a big interest in YA you presumably know who he is Uh, he published his first book looking for Alaska in 2005 it won awards but he really skyrocketed to like international fame with the book The Fault in Our Stars in 2012 that book was a really big deal and mm-hmm. got made into a movie. It was made into a movie of the same name within two years of being published. Oh, that's fast. Which is an amazing turnaround for book to movie. John Green gets a lot of credit for like for revolutionising YA, an accolade that like he himself says is more about him being a man than like the strength of his writing compared to his peers, because uh, he's not actually doing a lot that's fresh and different from what other people are doing. But a lot of people took his books more seriously because he was a man. And he he himself accepts this, not to say that his books aren't good. He lives in Indianapolis, which is also where this book is set. And this is somewhat, this is somewhat relevant because John Green speaks publicly about how he has trouble writing anything that he can't imagine actually happening. Uh,
1: The Falls in Our Stars is also set in Indianapolis.
0: It's where he's lived for the last (laughs) few years. His books are set like... One set in a boarding school in Alabama. Because, he went to a boarding school. Yeah, in Alabama. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then one is set in Orlando, Florida, because he is from Orlando, Florida. Um, I'm not sure where an abundance of Catherine's is set. It definitely involves a road trip. That's another thing I was going to say as part of author talk. From how we're talking, obviously... I have read John Green's other books. This one I read for the first time for the podcast, but it's probably worth noting in my reading that I do have a previous relationship with John Green's writing and his public persona. Not with the man himself, obviously. I have no idea what he's like. He's an internet celebrity. He's got a very prominent public persona. If you go into my childhood bedroom, the letters DFTBA are written on the wall. You don't forget to be awesome. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of things written on that wall because (laughs) my mother is really, really cool. And she let me draw and write on my bedroom wall. Like every teenager listening to this should petition their parents to allow them to do. I would recommend maybe don't use permanent markers, though. That worked out badly
1: for us. I will note that my parents did not let me write on the wall and I became a fully
0: functioning adult. But I became a really cool adult (laughs) with a podcast, so... Anyway, I have a really conflict-ridden relationship with John Green's public persona (laughs) and his books because of multiple reasons that I will get into further in this podcast where we talk about themes and writing style. So obviously these are all things about John Green's public persona. I'm not going to really comment on John Green as a person writing except that John Green has OCD. I would say John Green is the most famous, most openly spoken person with OCD, literally. Like people like Fiona Apple have talked about it briefly, but John Green is very outspoken about his illness, his treatment, how he deals with it as an ongoing issue in his life, how it impacts him. He talks a lot about it. This is the first book, though, where he's properly gone into what it's like living with the mental illness that he lives with. Cool. So let's get into it. Who's our main character? Our narrator is called Asa Holmes. The reason for her name in text is that her parents wanted a name which started the beginning of the alphabet, went to the end, and swung back to the beginning again so that she could be anything because her name contained everything. Oh, cool. They're white Americans. Very white American. Although there is like a surface-level plot for this book, they're, fi- they're solving a mystery, but the real predominant plot of it is... Aza learning about how to live with her mental illness and how to be a person, what it means to be a person, what it means to be a person with mental illness, and how to relate to people. So the actual plot, I've written a little summary. Let's go. Aza has mental illness. Aza does not comply with treatment and she's having a hard time of it. She has a friend called Daisy. Daisy is her best and oldest friend. Daisy wants to solve a mystery and get some reward money. They meet Davis, who Aza already knows, but hasn't kept up with for a while. He really likes Aza. He pays them off to stop investigating the mystery because he is really, really, really rich. Davis and Aza date a little bit. There is a Tuatara. Yeah, Yeah, the the Tuatara um, is a metaphor for the powers that control you because... You know, Davis's dad sees it as, like, a wealth investment and in a insurance against death. And Asa sees it as, like, a disgusting, unclean thing full of bacteria. And Davis is like, lol, I fucking hate that thing. <laughs> Daisy does her own thing with her $50,000. And she also gets a boyfriend. The differing needs of Aza and Davis get in the way of them having a relationship. I've just realized how difficult it is to summarize a thing where there's three people with names that all contain parts of the other ones. It's Asa, <laughs> Davis, and Daisy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I did this with Dari and Daryl. Yeah, it's bad. We can also, like, talk about the book
0: more naturally. I want to talk about John Green's writing style. <laughs> because, like I said, I have some big conflict-ridden opinions about... John Green's writing. And part of that is that John Green only knows how to live inside one head. His own head? His own head, which is like a very weird limitation of skills to have as an author. You should be able to get inside other people's heads. And so what happens is he is presenting a scene and it is from someone's point of view, but he is standing back from it a bit. And like, you don't know what your protagonist is feeling. Because you're getting a description of a scene that they're in, and you're getting their actions, but you're not getting any internality. Etha, yeah. have you heard of the third person? It's not in the third person. It's in the first person. So is first person removed? But no, because you're meant to be inside of Aza's head. And you don't know what she's feeling. And part of that is, I think, at times very appropriate because she doesn't know what she's feeling in those moments. Then other times things happen and there's like a situation she's in, and it's like you just literally don't know what she's feeling. She is not telling you what she's feeling at all. Okay, so do you have an example of that?
1: I'm trying to think of other books that I've read that are written in that style of like first, third, like first person removed third person mm-hmm. um and you do get bits of what they're feeling in places and then another times you do don't
0: you just don't know there's a bit um where she's she's on davis's golf course cuz davis has a golf course cuz davis's father is a millionaire and they're lying on the grass and she's like he wants to kiss me i can tell from his behaviors And you don't know what she feels. And she does not tell you what she feels. You know that she knows that he wants to kiss her. But you don't know how she feels about it.
1: Okay. For quite a while.
0: Until at a certain point she's like, yeah, I mean I could kiss him. I remember that scene. Mm -hmm.
1: And I remember thinking she felt really anxious about us. And I'm kind of like in my head when I think about the people that I'm interacting with. I don't necessarily think in that moment how I'm feeling. I'm like... Thinking about what they're doing and therefore how I'm supposed to act. Yeah. As opposed to like how I'm feeling exactly.
0: Mm -hmm. Does that change how you think about it at all? It doesn't because it's a thing that has happened in so many of John Green's books. That's true. Like it maybe works particularly well in this one because you are inhabiting a character with OCD and she is preoccupied a lot with her own thoughts and actually a very interesting thing that happens is that you know this is a first person perspective mm-hmm. towards the end of the book it is pointed out that Asa is really self-centered she is really really self-centered one of her friends calls her up on it she her best friend Daisy is like Asa, what are my parents names and Asa does not know oh <laughs> I love that exaggeration like you did not also oh, read this book know. Ooh, you should know your friend's parents name and she's like what do they do for a living and asa's like i i don't know and she's like and then daisy continues to rant and she's like you haven't been at my apartment in so many years do you know if i have a cat or a dog like do do you know anything about my life and to a certain extent asa gets like quite upset by this because she's like I do know things about you you have a cat like your little sister's name's Elaine like I know things about you but you do also get this impression that like because of maybe some of because of who she is fundamentally but maybe also because of her mental illness she's just not able to focus on people and engage with people very much and including her very best friend and then that puts an interesting question in How reliable is she as a narrator? Because, I mean, if someone is narrating a story, it makes a lot of sense that they're Mm self-centered because you don't want a book where the plot is interrupted by, like, a 30-minute conversation with your mother about what she's been up to that has no relevance on the plot that's progressing. So you're used to seeing that in a narrator, but then it's interesting that it's called out. And then it does bring in the big question at the heart of this book, which is, what is a person what is the self and can you separate the self from the situation? Because like, is Aza a self-centered person? Or do the difficulties she has to deal with because of her anxiety and her compulsions and her obsessions, do they make her self-centered and would she otherwise not be self-centered? And is there a difference and is there a point in arguing that? That is very interesting. Yeah. What
1: are some of her obsessions?
0: she's really really obsessed with cleanliness okay and gut flora and the human microbiome are things that really distress her and preoccupy her the idea that like there are so many bacteria living in on and around you in a symbiotic relationship with you and that like about half of the cells in the human body aren't human they're bacterial like and the fact that um, there is a feedback loop between the lower intestine where many of these bacteria live with like the basal areas of the brain where emotion is processed. And like there's a really tight relationship there that like science can't disentangle. We are partially determined by our gut flora. And there's this idea that, like, people might be more or less prone to depression, depending on their gut flora. And all of this distresses her an awful lot because she's very worried about the idea that she is contaminated by these bacteria. On some level, does she know too much information? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know when you're obsessed with
1: something? So she's obsessed with... With germs yes. and bacteria and therefore now
0: knows enough to be dangerous. There is multiple times in this book when something is distressing her and therefore she Googles it and she finds information that finds her makes her more distressed about it. Like when you get a new freckle and then that freckle is cancer because you Google this.
1: Yes. Or you have a headache and now you have a brain tumor. Yeah. She's going to extremes at all times.
0: Yes, because yeah it's it's a thing that really dominates her life Aza does note that previously it wasn't as bad she had she has periodic check-ins mm-hmm. appointments with her psychiatrist and mm-hmm. she says that like she can determine how bad or good she's getting along by how frequent these visits are mm-hmm. and like during this book it's like every two weeks come back next week come back before the end of the week and she reflects that like this time last year it was every eight weeks and she's not doing well so so within
1: this book Aza is having kind of a bit of a of a a downward
0: turn she's having her own in in her own health yes and she's also trying to solve a mystery she is trying to solve a mystery and i haven't even gotten into the mystery the Nominal plot of this, and I'm actually just going to read the blurb here. Okay, cool. 16-year-old Asa never intended to pursue the mystery of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett, but there's a $100,000 reward at stake, and her best and most fearless friend Daisy is eager to investigate. So together they navigate the short distance and broad divides that separate them from Russell Pickett's son Davis. Aza is trying. She's trying to be a good daughter, a good friend, a good student, and maybe even a good detective, while also living within the ever tightening spiral of her own thoughts. Okay. So a billionaire goes missing. This man is extremely rich, and he yeah, lives billionaire. No one knows where he's gone. There are lawsuits being brought against him for huge amounts. He is wanted. He is a bad person. He is so started. is he gone? Missing, Like he's run away? He's run away. Okay. Well, he's completely gone missing and we don't know what's happened to him for a while. But yeah, the implication is he's in a lot of hot water with a lot of various bodies who regulate business and also like civil law and there's criminal cases against him. And he's in a lot of trouble. And So he's been doing that typical billionaire thing of not being good and well behaved? Yeah. Cool, 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 he's cool been cool. He's been doing that typical billionaire thing of like even if you are a mediocre person in terms of good deeds, the amount of power you have if you are a billionaire means that the slightest negligence on your part makes you a monster who has done massive amount of harms to other people. <laughs> even if you are actually in your heart, removed from your status as a billionaire, just a normal person. That's another thing that's discussed in this book, the relation between the self and power. But this billionaire has gone missing. Aza knows his son because around the same time when they were like ten years old, they were both bereaved. Aza lost her father, and Davis, the billionaire son, lost his mother. And so they both went to a camp for children who have been recently who've recently lost a parent, and they bond a little bit there. And She doesn't see him much later. She doesn't think about him much later. But when it comes up that this man is missing and that there is a hundred thousand dollar reward for any information relating to his whereabouts, Daisy, her friend, is immediately like, you went to camp with this boy. He'll know who you are. We should go talk to him and see if we can get any info. You can flirt with him. It'll be good. And Aza is like, I he won't know who I am and Daisy's like trust me you're a very 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 memorable person <laughs> this, this isn't a value judgment you're just very memorable okay I've also been described as memorable <laughs> I've also it's memorable. not necessarily a compliment <laughs> it is not necessarily a compliment and that comes up again later <laughs> so they like investigate a little bit they sneak around um Aza remembers that like on the Pickett's property, there is a wildlife camera that is used to photograph wildlife in the woods. It's like motion sensor, motion triggered. When this man went missing, his children say like they act, he was acting normal before they went to bed. And, like He just wasn't there when they woke up. And he didn't trigger any of the cameras around the gate. None of the cars were missing. Mm-hmm. So Daisy and Asa think, let's check out this camera. The
1: wildlife camera. The wildlife
0: camera, because yeah. it's close to... If he was going to sneak out, he would have to go to the White River if he was going to avoid detection at the gates or anything Mm -hmm. uh, because the river apparently provides enough of a natural boundary that they don't think to secure that part of the property. Fair enough. And they do find a picture of him blurry, taken at like three in the morning, where he's clearly running away. (laughs) As billionaires are wont to do. As billionaires are wont to do. But the thing is that while they're getting this picture, a man who works in the property is like, what are you doing here? And they're like, because they canoed down the river. Okay, Our canoe has capsized. We know (laughs) Davis. (laughs) We are not suspicious teenagers.
1: We are here purely by accident and not on purpose at all.
0: Yeah, And this man is like fuck if you know davis you don't fucking know davis but i'm bringing you up to the house so we can decide what to do with you and he brings him up to the house and davis is like oh my god it's asa holmes who i went to camp with for two weeks when i was ten, and who left a memorable impression because she's a very memorable person
1: (laughs) oh that security guard is right in the face
0: and like honestly that's as much as we have for plot um like Because they're investigating this mystery, Mm -hmm. um, eventually Davis is like, I would really like to feel that you like me for who I am and not for possible information relating to my father's whereabouts for which you will be awarded $100,000. So I'm just going to give you $100,000 right now to not look into it anymore and just be my friend. (laughs) So Aza is not, like, romantically involved with him at this point. They're just kind of dating. He's very obviously into her and she's like, whatever. But he gives her this money and she's very blasé about it. Whereas Daisy is like, sweet. Um, This is really, really good for me. And we become aware that there's actually a bit of a difference between, like, Daisy and Aza's, like, class background. Because... Aza's mother is obviously a single mother because mm-hmm. she was widowed. Um, she's a high school teacher and God, we, we are told what Daisy's parents do. She lives in an apartment with her family where she shares a room with her eight-year-old sister. Aza's family live in a nice house. Okay, so there's a bit of like social class. There's a bit of a social class difference. Yeah. And this really drives a bit of a wedge between the two of them when mm-hmm. Daisy and Aza get the money because before the money happens daisy is like we're going to investigate the mystery we're going to investigate the mystery we're going to investigate the mystery and aza's like i whatever sure fine whatever whereas then they get the mystery they get the money they get the money and aza's like i mean now i kind of want to know what happened to davis's dad and daisy is like do not blow this for us We just got big money. I no longer have to bring this coupon to go to eat in a restaurant. Like, I no longer have to type up my fan fiction on my phone because I can afford a laptop now. I might be able to go to college now. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, because aren't they in their final year? I don't believe they're in their final year. Um, They're in their last couple. Are they sophomore, freshman? I don't understand American (laughs) schools. Neither do I. I think that they're in their penultimate year. I think so, yes. So yeah, fifty thousand so that would make quite a dent in American
0: student loans. I mean it wouldn't, it wouldn't. Because that's the thing, is that Aza's response to the money is like, okay, fifty thousand, but like what will that actually buy me because it won't afford me to like go to a good college out of state. Whereas Daisy is like this money is changing my entire life. Daisy was looking at not going to a
1: college. It yes. will definitely get her through four years of a community college. It'll probably get her through a
0: lot of a state college. Yes. She was previously planning on like maybe going to night school while she worked to support herself. So it is a big difference for her. Yeah, That is quite a, yeah. It's that is a massive ease of financial burden. Yes, really, really very much. So towards the middle of the book, the conflict then, between Daisy and Asa is Daisy being like let's not invest- investigate this mystery anymore because why do we want to know more about this man uh we have been give we've we've got what we wanted i got money and also she's dating a new boy and so they're like not spending as so much time together which just gives Asa like a lot of time to thought spiral um cuz this entire book it's spiraling mm-hmm. in it's all about thought spirals it's all about sinking closer and closer into like a singularity and being sucked in because okay. the obsessive thoughts are drawing Aza in all of the time and at the start of the book she's like yeah I take my meds like most days. Oh no you're supposed to take your meds every day. Yeah but she's like oh yeah I take the most days it's like whatever it's kind of weird that I need to take this pill to be myself so I don't like taking them but i take them like most days so it's fine and it's like slowly she's just completely stepping off taking her meds oh that's a bad
1: choice life hack stay on your meds and if you're coming off your meds talk to your doctor about it
0: yeah that would be one of my top life hacks
1: that's my that's
0: my kira recommended life hack yeah um it is also Ethan endorsed <laughs> So she's going off her meds. She's sinking more and more into her thought spirals. We get to see this through some of her compulsions, such as she has a blister um, on one of her fingers that she cracks and she like squeezes the pus out of it. If there's any pus in it, she squeezes some blood out of it. She disinfects it. She puts a plaster on it. So so she's not letting it heal. Yeah, this blister started because when she was a child, her mother said something about, you know, pinching yourself to make sure something's real. And so Aza got in the habit of like digging her nail into her fingertip to make sure she's real. And a callus developed and then the callus, she would keep cracking it and it would bleed really easily. And so she would keep a plaster on it at all times. Then she would get compulsive thoughts about, not being real. real, about there being an infection underneath there. and that's, But the fact that you went to not being real is a good insight because a lot of her anxiety on a surface level is about infection, but it represents a deeper worry about being a person and what it is to be a person and whether she is real. The very first line of this book, I'm going to read it to you. It is such long sense. <laughs> at the time I first realised I might be fictional, my weekdays were spent at a publicly funded institution on the north side of Indianapolis called White River High School, where I was required to eat lunch at a particular time, between 12.37pm and 1.14pm, by forces so much larger than myself that I couldn't even begin to identify them.
1: Okay, so she's not doing well in the machine of life. No, and what she... Is this this kind of a a Matrix situation? Or no, it's The Sims. The Sims? Yeah, you know The Sims, the computer game? I do know of The Sims, yes. Yeah, Yeah. so is she kind of like, I am
0: being controlled by this other force? It's more like she is aware that very little of her behavior is chosen by her. And I'm going to interject now as Aoife the human being and be like, yeah, no shit. This is where me and John Green disagree hugely. I don't care if free will exists. I personally don't think it does. You get on with life anyway. Whereas Aza is extremely preoccupied with whether each action is freely chosen.
1: I will also say, though, that she is at an age where she doesn't have a lot of choice. True. Because, and a lot of YA deals with this, the fact that kind of... Up until you are 18, and really until you are 20, and like in that a- area, for a lot of people, their lives are just decided for them by the situations around them. Like their parents make a lot of decisions for them, their school makes a lot of decisions for them. And while like everybody, the whole way up from birth to death, is governed by outside forces, it is particularly
0: plain to see as a teenager. Because you are in that stage where you are an independent being, but you are subject to, for example... You can't leave the house after eight because your mom said so. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Like on a very fundamental level, your choices and your decisions are levied
0: by your parents Mm. um, and by the people that you live with. That is not the preoccupation that Aza has. Like, that is definitely an issue that happened. That is an issue which affects the entire developmental period of being a teenager and a young adult very much so, yeah. I can I can just see how she
1: could make that leap given her, her mental health. Other people make decisions on my life.
0: Am I even a real person? Yes. Is she just a puppet for her gut bacteria? Is she just, like... Like she discusses viruses a lot, um, that there are parasites and viruses that live in animals where like when the parasite is immature, it makes the fish that it's parasiting upon swim at the bottom of the pond. So it has time to mature. And then when the parasite is mature and ready to reproduce, it can only reproduce in the stomach of a bird. So it changes the behaviours of the fish it's inhabiting to make them swim closer to the surface so that like they will get caught by the birds and the parasite will get into the bird's stomachs and be able to breed there. These are the kinds of things that Aza has been researching obsessively because she is terrified about the idea that something that isn't her is piloting her actions and she isn't aware of it. So her gut bacteria is controlling her? That's part of it. It's all of these factors. The central question of this book is, what is a person? And then there's many little side themes orbiting like moons around a planet. Like, is the power you wield part of you or does it wield you and influence who you are and how you are? Um, Do the things you're obsessed with control you or are they an aspect of who you are? And what is the difference between something that is an aspect of who you are and something that is external and controlling you? She gets concerned with... Physical being, obviously. So there's times when Aza feels like she can connect with someone better if it's through like a Skype call because she doesn't have to think about all the germs that are coming off them. Okay. There's also a bit of a sub theme about someone's writing being a really true way to understand who they are as a person that comes up multiple times. Asa has this experience both with Daisy and with Davis where like she reads something that they've written and she has a truer and deeper understanding of them and something they understand. So she
1: has or she feels like she has? Because writing can be misinterpreted.
0: She has and she feels like she has. Um, there is an ambiguous point in that. Um, I'll get back to it. But there is also a theme of... Things that language can't encompass, like pain and anxiety, like like Aza cannot cannot communicate to Daisy or her mother or anyone what it is like to live inside her head because it is everything about how she experiences the world and it is nothing that she can put into language because language isn't particularly well built for communicating things like that. Cool. Yeah. There is a little bit of a moment where you wonder whether the insights that she gets from reading mm-hmm. are real. Because what happens is Daisy writes a lot of Star Wars fan fiction. You said she writes it on her phone. She does. Uh, she writes Ray and Chewbacca ship fic, which I find like charming. <laughs> and like John Green was trying to pick the least real life <laughs> fake like something no one actually is out there writing think oh about. people are writing
1: think about it oh for sure and but like 100 after this book they are definitely writing
0: about it. oh did you know that john green writes fan fiction john, john,
1: green john green
0: writes fan fiction he has mentioned that he writes fan fiction he has not mentioned what of or where or under what username very deliberately so I don't think I would read it. <laughs> I, I would know. like to know what it was, and I would definitely read the blurb and the tags.
1: I want to know I want to know what fandom he's writing. That's I yeah, I don't know if I would read
0: his fan fiction, but I want to know what fandom he is writing. Daisy writes a lot of fan fiction for Star Wars, and Aza does not read any of it. And this comes up a little bit when they they have a confrontation about Aza being self-centered. But before that, Davis says, you don't read any of Daisy's fanfic? You're like in it. Ooh. And so, Drama. yeah, Asa yeah, goes and she reads some of the fic that Daisy has written. And there is a character in it called Ayla, who fucks everything up. She is very nervous and she second guesses herself all the time and she's preoccupied and she's self-centered and she just makes everything more difficult for Ray and Chewie, the main characters. Aza reads this character and is like, oh, this is Daisy writing about how much she hates me.
1: I can see that interpretation of like the way you've described it just there. I can see how she can be like, oh my God, my best friend wrote an an original character, an OC
0: and that person is unlikable yeah. yes and when I first read this section of the book between like Davis saying but you're totally in these books and then Asa goes and reads the fic and is like oh my god I'm totally in them I'm like but how do you know that this isn't Daisy doing something completely different I don't think it's that obvious that it's based on you I think a lot of this could be like spotlight effect like being worried about people judging you the Main point she takes away is that these are things Daisy thinks about her, whereas I'm left feeling like I don't know if you'd necessarily have drawn those links if you had read this without Davis telling you is this character not based on you? Very obviously. Which again, could be a flawed interpretation that he has because he does not know Daisy very well. Aza does then confront Daisy about this character that she's written and Daisy's like, you never read my fic. For so many years we've been friends and you never read my fic. I maybe based her on you a bit in the beginning, but she became her own character. She's not you. She's a character. Um, They have a massive fight about it. And while they're having a fight about it, uh, they get in a car crash. Oh, cool. We're two for two on podcasts I have narrated (laughs) (laughs) and characters getting involved in car crashes. I'm also
1: gonna give like Kira's life hack number two. Apparently we're racking them up today. Don't fight in a car.
0: Don't fight in a car. Um and it's really really upsetting for Aza because the car they're in is her father's car. Her father died when she was ten. Her car is called Harold. That's a cute name. It is a cute name. It's a very steady old man name because he's a very steady old car. She crashes Harold. They're on the freeway, which is American for big road. Ethan does not drive. Ethan does, <laughs> does not drive. drive. <laughs> Kiro, what's a freeway? It's
1: essentially a motorway.
0: Okay. <laughs> so they get in this massive crash. Asa has a lacerated liver. That's bad. That's real bad. It's not good when you hurt your liver. What's particularly bad is that while... While she's spiraling, she's gotten into the habit of like, okay, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So she kisses Davis because they're kind of doing the dating thing. She suddenly gets this panic of, oh God, there are bacteria in people's mouths. Okay. And she breaks away to Google uh, what happens when bacteria transfer between people's mouths. And she finds a study which finds that six months after kissing there is a modest but reliable change in the mouth flora and fauna of people who have kissed where it gets more like the person they've kissed there is definitely a transfer that happens there and she's suddenly really freaked out that like davis is going
1: to be inside her mouth forever davis's bacteria yeah will be inside her
0: mouth forever oh god there's a beautiful line and I took a picture of it and I tweeted it because it made me so happy because again this is a difference between me and John Green where John Green is a Protestant whereas I am raised Catholic because he's like sorry the character of Aza which is a character that he is writing Davis's bacteria are in Aza's mouth now and they're going to be there for the entire rest of her life and then when she's dead Davis's bacteria are going to eat her tongue Okay, and that's it. like the most horrible thing that she can imagine. It's really disgusting to her. And I'm like, that's that just shows like the permanent nature of love. It's whatever.
1: She doesn't necessarily like have very strong feelings for Davis. Like she's still trying to figure all that out. They've been on what two days, from what you've been telling me. They have not.
0: Yeah, it's not like she wants him to be in her mouth forever. She Google's a study, gets obsessed with the results from it. It becomes part of her compulsions. She keeps eating tiny amounts of hand sanitizer to clean her mouth. How long has she been? Okay, so wait.
1: Timeline. Yeah. Yeah. She kisses Davis. Yeah. She starts
0: eating hand sanitizer? I think she kisses Davis. She Googles about it. She gets really anxious. They stop kissing. They hang out a bit. They kiss a second time. She gets really freaked out. The compulsive thought won't go away. The obsessive thought won't go away. She has a compulsive need. She drinks some hand sanitizer. She puts in her mouth like toothpaste. It tastes disgusting. And then every few days she gets another obsessive. Yeah. yeah, she gets another obsessive thought, another thought spiral, which had previously been really focused on her finger, but now is also like, I need to clean my mouth. There's still Davis bacteria in there. Not that she dislikes him, just that there's bacteria in there. Okay. And it's and like it's new bacteria and it's not
1: necessarily her bacteria, which she also doesn't like because her bacteria is also controlling her. So now she's being controlled by her bacteria and Davis's bacteria. So she needs to hand
0: sanitizer. Oh, my goodness. She's also worried about C. diff, which I think is very similar to a staph infection where it's bacteria that normally exists on the human skin and just in the human tissues. But when you go on a course of antibiotics, sometimes there can be an abnormality where they become infectious and large colonies of them set up and people die of this, almost exclusively when they're immune compromised on antibiotics in hospital. But that's not going to stop our girl. Question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She has now been in a car accident and has a lacerated liver. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She's in hospital? She's in hospital. And it's really bad to be in hospital if you're particularly anxious about... Germs. Germs. And bacteria.
1: Particularly... Which hospitals
0: are full of. Particularly antibiotic resistant bacteria, which infect humans, which are almost exclusively found around hospitals. It's a really bad time. So how is she doing? how is she doing in hospital? So on, I think it's night number one... Uh, after the car crash she is lying in bed her mother is in the room with her her mother falls asleep she sees that there is a thingy on the wall which dispenses hand sanitizer and she's like I mm, I need to I need she to be that this. pretty much yeah and she's like arguing with her thoughts there is a really interesting distinction that happens in Aza's narrative between myself and my space self where she's like i said to myself and myself responded so she has these arguments where it's between her obsessive thoughts and like her trying to be logical she has these where it's like i need to drink hand sanitizer no i don't yeah you do you have c diff i don't have c diff i haven't even been on antibiotics they're going to give you antibiotics This argument keeps going and you know she can't combat the anxious thought because shout out to anyone who has anxiety out there. Arguing with your anxious thoughts is not the best method to try get rid of them or alleviate them in any way. So she drinks the hand sanitizer
1: and Kira's eye
0: twitched when I said that. I am very upset that she drank the hand sanitizer even though I've read this book and I had forgotten that because it's so distressing. She has a lacerated liver, but yeah. she has drank something which is pretty much pure alcohol. So she
1: cannot. Okay, that's going to make her sick. So drinking hand sanitizer will make you sick. Yes. yes. Drinking hand sanitizer when your liver is not correctly functioning mm-hmm. is basically drinking poison. Yeah. Yep. So sh- she's going to be very sick. Yep. Do they
0: Do they pump her stomach? Her mother wakes up to see asa spasming and throwing up so her mother calls calls on the nurses it's like my daughter has drank hand sanitizer they're like clearly there's a psychiatric issue happening here initially they think she's a suicidal initially they think she's an alcoholic ah okay and then they're like are you suicidal and then she's just like then her her normal psychiatrist comes in and is like cut the bullshit asa but my favorite thing about this and it's a very interesting thing that happens in the writing style, is that happens at the end of a chapter. Okay. And the next chapter opens with, the next morning you wake up in a hospital bed staring up at ceiling tiles. Gingerly, carefully, you assess your own consciousness for a moment. You wonder, is it over? And this entire chapter is in second person. Oh, so she switched? It switches narrative? It It switches narrative. (laughs) Because there's a lot of stuff earlier on. Because she feels so disconnected to herself. Yeah. That's really, I like that. It's, it's nice. very interesting. It's a very, very good narrative tool to portray the issues that she's dealing with. There is a bit earlier in the book that like resonates with this, where she's talking about, you know, I'm a we because there's so many organisms living in me right now that I'm not really an I. Like, I'm a me, I'm Aza, I'm Homesy, which is the nickname her friends call her. I'm she, my kingdom for an I. Anything to be one unified being, point of view being, yeah, who feels in control of her own life, and that's just the heart of this entire book is Aza searching for that I and struggling with her mental illness, her OCD, her because she can't tr- trust her thoughts. A lot of people feel I am my thoughts, but some of her thoughts aren't her, and some of
1: her thoughts are actively working against her
0: yeah, yeah. unpleasant unpleasant and she tries to combat them but the central realization of this book which gives it its title is that it's turtles all the way down after their fight after Asa goes to hospital and feels really bad about not knowing what Daisy's parents do for a living after Asa tells Davis I'm sorry we can't this can't work because I cannot kiss a person. It, it's very upsetting and triggering for me to try of any physical intimacy. I would love to have a relationship where we just Skype all the time. And he's like, I would love to have a relationship where that wasn't what happened. They just have different needs. Yep. And so it's back to...
1: That's very fair.
0: It is. It's a It's a very fair reason to break up. But I'm also really proud of her for just stating
1: what her needs are. Even if Davis isn't able to like meet them and for her to be like well this is my boundary right now and if you're not able to meet my needs then we have to break up as opposed to try and compromise
0: again yeah Yeah. I'm I'm proud of Aza it It is good and it is a progress she makes because earlier in the book when like she goes on a date with him you know she has she has to break off from kissing him because she has this intrusive thought about the bacteria and she's like He thinks I'm crazy. She is obsessively aware of how she's not normal, about how he's interpreting her and judging her and seeing her as crazy. And again, what is the self? Are we what other people think we are? If we are, am I crazy? And she gets very concerned with this. At this point, at the end of the book, it's like so much shit has gone down that she's like, listen, this is where I'm at. Take it or leave it. I got to
1: do my therapy. Please tell me that after the hand sanitizer incident, she becomes more reliable taking her meds. She yes. does.
0: Oh, thank. Thank the Lord. Her psychiatrist gets her in hospital and is like, cut the bullshit. Um, because Aza is like, I don't know. I just don't feel like like taking a pill to be who I am. Like That's such a weird idea. And it's like, it doesn't feel great. And the doctor is like, you just drank hand sanitizer. Let's get rid of the fiction that the pills aren't helping you get back on your pills. And she does. And she has this conversation with Daisy where she tries to explain to her how her thought spirals work. And she says that she's constantly trying to find her real self. And she feels like it's a Matryoshka doll. You know, those Russian dolls where they, you open the top and there's a smaller doll inside yeah. and there's a smaller doll inside. And she keeps searching and searching deeper and deeper into herself to try find who she really is. Like, who am I apart from my obsessions? Who am I apart from my social position, apart from what I know, apart from these thoughts? What am I? And Daisy's kind of like, I don't know, that's a bit dumb. Um, But it's reminding me of a thing I read once or watched once or heard about uh, where there's a famous scientist giving a talk about... World and how it worked, and like a little old lady stood up really angrily and was like, "How dare you peddle these lies? We all know the world isn't a globe." Oh no, flat earther
1: alert!
0: A flat earther. She was like, "The world is a flat disc, and it is on the back of four elephants, and they stand on the back of a turtle." And this scientist was like,
1: "Isn't that Discworld?"
0: That is Discworld. Continue, which is also based on. This lady, Previ- previous, <laughs> which is also based on previous visions of how the world worked. This scientist is like, haha, we're all laughing here. I put the crowd with me. What does that turtle stand on, lady? And she's like, it stands on another turtle. And he's like, ha ha. What does that turtle stand on? And she's like, you're not going to catch me like that, sir. It's turtles all the way down. And okay, there we have the title. Yeah. And Daisy, Daisy's like, we're you keep searching for a smaller purer concept that is truly aza but everything that you are is aza and all of the little subcomponents are aza and the overall picture is aza and if you look closer it's aza and if you look further away it's aza because it's aza all the way down aza is an impressionist painting
1: no <laughs> not an impressionist painting what's those paintings with all the tiny
0: dots pointillism aza is pointillism there, there is actually a painting in this book with spirals in it and it is a really really ridiculously valuable painting which Aza first sees at davis's house and she is sucked into the center of the spirals and she's like wow this painting really well encapsulates what it's like being in my head but if the lesson she learns from daisy is that it's turtles all the way down the lesson she learns from Davis is that the spiral also goes out and you can start at the centre and you can spiral out and understand more and more of the world going outwards because Davis is really into space. Oh, cool. <laughs> so they keep looking at stars and things. But he looks at the painting and he sees spirals spiralling out and she looks at it and she sees spiral spiralling in. She learns different ways to look at being a person and it helps her feel balanced and good but they do also solve the mystery of where Davis's dad went. They don't find Davis's dad, but I'm I'm just going to say that another thing that exists in the question of what a person is, is this question of like legal personhood. And it's that if, if Davis's dad goes unfound for seven years, he will be declared dead. But before that, he will be considered alive, but missing. And that's whether or not He is dead. And like Davis has a younger brother who's really concerned about where his father is. This, like, their lawyers and stuff are just like, legally, he's alive, which isn't comforting for a 13 year old who's worried about his father being
1: dead. Are there ramifications of Davis's dad being dead versus like
0: being dead, being legally missing, being legally dead? Yeah, because he's left his entire estate to a Tuatara, which is not one of his children. It is a Isn't that like a lizard dragon? It looks like a lizard, but it isn't a lizard. I love them because they have three eyes and they haven't evolved visibly for kind of millions and billions of years. But they also have one of the highest mutation rates of any animal. So it's a real mystery for like how DNA works that they remain visibly unchanged despite changing so much over the years and again this upsets Aza because she's like if I'm not my DNA.
1: <laughs> Who am I? Yeah. Okay so if he dies so then the two boys are left destitute? Kind of like it's, it's so boring. it's not in their favor
0: that he's found dead. that he is okay. The idea is we don't get a very clear picture of it. We know that they're they're provided for. They're going to be able to go to college, but they're not going to inherit billions. Okay. So they're going to be, they're going to have a lot of the privileges of being the children of billionaires, but they're not going to be billionaires, which is a unique situation for the children of billionaires generally. So Noah, Davis's younger brother, loves his father and would like to know what's happening with him. Davis mostly would like security for his younger brother because he doesn't particularly like his dad very much, he does pay Aza and Daisy off to not solve the mystery because he
1: he wants them to be friends for friendship's sake and not for potential money gained reward's sake. Yes.
0: Yes. Hmm. So, after accident, after Turtles All the Way Down conversation, Aza and Daisy go to an art show in a sewer tunnel. (laughs) That is so punk and also poor Aza. She's fine with it. She's fine
1: with it. <laughs> she's too much, but sewers are a-okay.
0: Yeah, and there's actually a bit where Daisy is like, is this not really creepy? Like, it's echoey, it's dark. Like, we like only these torches we're carrying are, like, lighting our way down this corridor as we try to find this room where this art t- ex- exhibit is. And Aza, like, turns off her headlamp and she's like, this is what my life is like all the time. Oh my gosh. Being, Being dark, dark and lost in this tunnel where something smells bad out there, but you're not sure what. That's always my life. That, that's always my life. So this is a piece of fucking cake. And she turns her headlight that on.
1: That reminds me of my own anxiety where I am like anxious all of the time. And then there's a crisis and I am like the most chill person in the room because I'm like every minute of my life has been preparing me for this disaster situation and now i can take charge and act like my brain has been correct all the time yeah and fix the problem because we can see what the problem is as opposed to my brain just being like everything is wrong and you're like nothing's wrong Mm. i can see
0: this (laughs) it's a common experience for people with mental health difficulties so while they're in this tunnel Aza thinks about like the clues that they've gathered, and there's a note that Davis's dad left for himself about the runner's mouth. And Aza's like, What would that mean? I mean, this little trickle of a stream we're looking at is called Pogue's run. Pogue means kiss. Run is like jogging. Oh, interesting. Maybe his body's somewhere in these in these tunnels.
1: And then she just goes
0: to the art shop. <laughs> She is so punk. (laughs) This is why she's memorable. She's also described as being like mustard at some point where it's like a little of her goes a long way. (laughs) But then Daisy like refutes this is like, you're not like mustard. You're like pizza. There's never enough pizza. (laughs) But yeah, like later on, her last interaction with Davis, not her last interaction with Davis. One of her last interactions with Davis after they've already broken up, although they were never clearly a thing. She's like, hey, I think I know where your father's body might be. So, like, you get to decide what you do with this information because it doesn't make a difference to me. Because I already got the the semi-reward money. But you are the guardian for your younger brother who would be really distressed by this news. You also need to consider your financial future. You can have seven years to plan if you want or you can tell the cops tomorrow and he decides to tell the cops after like a few weeks while they like decide that they're going to move somewhere else and like go to a boarding school because they need parents slash guardians as opposed to housekeepers yeah Yeah, and also like they don't necessarily want to live in this big fucking house where everyone knows their dad's criminal past and there's a lizard who's inherited their family fortune and it's a bad buzz cool cool so, yeah. yeah, that's the closure, really, of the plot is she finds she solves the mystery,
1: okay. which is fun.
0: Cool. And she. I do
1: like a mystery novel that has the mystery be solved. That is my favorite type of mystery novel. Oh, that's so
0: not post-modernist <laughs> <of> you. <laughs> but she like acknowledges that like her and Davis aren't going to be parts of each other's lives going forward. But like she's always going to miss him and that's fine. And she kind of spirals outwards instead of inwards and is like, I'm going to be this person for the rest of my life. And I get to decide what that person is. And sometimes I'm going to be sick and sometimes I'm going to be well, but I'm still going to be Aza. And that's fine.
1: That's actually
0: really nice. It's fine. Oh. And that's kind kind of of the ending, yeah.
1: I like this book about a girl with mental illness who learns how to be slightly more together in her mental illness without being cured mythically by a boy kissing her.
0: Yeah. Yes. And her mental illness isn't why she solves the mystery. She she addresses this in it where she's like this was a book. This breakdown I had at the hospital would mean that I would suddenly have the brain power and my like compulsions would allow me to compulsively research and I would find the answer. Where she just kind of finds it by accident in the end. Because she's like standing in a dark tunnel. Like wow it sounds bad here. Yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. General discussion. Highlights, lowlights. Weird, weird little light. side lights. Yep. Let me see. Highlights. This is so readable. I've complained that John Green. Only knows how to live inside of one head. And sometimes there are points in the narrative. Where it's very jarring. Where I'm like this is every single protagonist. You've ever written. But. In terms of world building and in terms of character interactions, there's lots of things he does really, really well. And it's particularly good as a representation of anxiety and mental illness and obsessive health anxieties, which are a thing I have experienced. So I can sign off 100%. This is what it's like. I perhaps have not been at the drinking hand sanitizer in a hospital state, but A lot of the thoughts and stuff that he portrays here are very, very accurate. Low point, uh, low light. It feels a bit patronizing sometimes, but that could again be like where it's difficult reading a character who's struggling with something you have struggled with, but you struggled, struggled differently and have figured out since where you're kind of feel like pummeling the page and just being like, we get it. You've read Foucault. Davis? We've all read yeah. Foucault. Uh, so I'm just like, come on, these, these fucking hot takes.
1: Like I will point out that like our age demographic and our life experience demographic is not the target audience. So if you are 16, 17 reading this, it can be mind-blowing. Yes. yes, for
0: sure. And that is a thing that like I struggle with even with my own writing, where I, I'm like, I can't just talk about this thing. Someone else in human history has talked about this thing. And this person will have already read it, which is not true. But I personally find it very frustrating when I'm reading a book that's trying to teach me something that I already know because I notice that they're trying to teach me and I can't just stop because I'm in the middle of reading a story but I can't enjoy the story because they're just talking at me okay okay I hear that um so that's really frustrating and then any weird little sidelines the theme of writing is a form of connection I really liked and I didn't go into it very much but like Asa reads Daisy's fan fiction and realizes things about her that she'd never realized despite being friends for years. Uh, she reads Davis's blogs and she learns a lot about him and she feels more connection to him through reading his blog posts than she does sitting opposite him and talking to him and I just think that's very interesting given this is a book mm-hmm. that someone has written. Yeah and also like
1: it is quite perfect Personal to the author because it is a large discussion of his own mental illness as well. Yeah. Like portrayed through another
0: person. And the entire debate around selfhood I found really engaging and I found it came to a really satisfying conclusion. And I'm actually at this point also going to go back to highlights and say (laughs) Davis as a character was really lovely. He's kind of, as a person, he's. Great, he's whatever. But also, like, reading him, I recognized so much of myself as a teenager because he kept saying things like, Oh, you see, adults, they all seem a bit hollow inside. This book was coming for you. <laughs> and, he say, and he says things like, Oh, people who are in relationships can only ever talk about being in relationships. I don't want to be one of those boring people who are in relationships. And I'm like, It's so fun being a teenager
1: (laughs) it's so fun knowing everything and knowing everything and experiencing everything for the first time all at once
0: yeah I really wish I still had that certainty where I could look out into the world and be like all of you are (laughs) pawns none of you are complex people the same way I am but he's really charming with it as well it's not like annoying it's it is genuinely I read it and I'm like oh my god, I did this so, would you recommend this book? Absolutely, I would absolutely one hundred percent recommend it. I found it challenging in some ways when I was looking at reviews of it. Some people said that it felt like having a panic attack to read this book, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far, but, okay. but part of that was kind of intentional, so that you
1: understood just how panicked Aza was.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really beautiful as a thesis of language can't fully encapsulate the subjective experience of fear or pain but if you write a book about someone who's full of fear and pain you can feel that and you can communicate that but you know I would say I would keep that caveat that like if you are a person with a lot of anxiety or fear or pain you might find aspects of this book triggering cool cool um
1: so I think that's Oh, we have on our discussion of Troubles All the Way Down by John
0: Green. Absolutely. If you have any comments on this discussion, please direct them towards us on our Twitter, Forever YA Pod, where you can also get information about the newest episodes. What are we doing next week, Kira? Next week, we will be continuing our theme
1: of mental health and mental illness. With a book called Tuesdays Are Just as Bad, I will be reading, and is our first book by an Irish author. Oh, and nice! Is set in Cork, Ireland. Very nice, cool.
0: Stay young. Bye. Bye. For every young adult, a book podcast where we For every young I'm going to bed <laughs>